0: Welcome to episode 68 of The Recovery Show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness. My name is Spencer, and I'll be your host today. Joining me as co-host Erica. How are you today, Erica?
1: I'm well, Thank you.
0: And uh, I tell you what, I am enjoying the weather the last few days where the sun actually came out and it got up to like 50 or something and yeah. still have a little bit of glacier in our driveway, but it's, <laughs> it's going away.
1: Yes. It's quite nice.
0: Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, so instead of a reading, um, I found some quotes about forgiveness. Uh, you know, on the internet, which is where all quotes live, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought maybe we could like sort of ping pong reading them um, okay so i'll start with this one from from tony robbins he says forgiveness is a gift you give yourself
1: uh, there's one that's from anonymous this is forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior forgiveness pr- forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying your heart
0: yeah that very prolific author anon mm mm-hmm. <laughs> mhm forgiveness is not forgetting an injustice done it is the understanding that allows us to set aside the emotional impact of that injustice pertaining to ourselves. When we no longer hold those emotions and have understanding for the person, we have forgiven them. That's from Moonsinger.
1: It's about allowing ourselves to heal, to move on, and to let the experience change us in a positive way. There will always be love and light if we open that door. We will allow When we allow ourselves to finally forgive, let go, and make peace with a situation that cannot be changed... We give ourselves the freedom to love others and to love life again. That's B. I'm going to butcher this last name. Mara.
0: Close enough, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, Forgiveness is not always easy. At times, it feels more painful than the wound we suffered to forgive the one that inflicted it. And yet, there is no peace without forgiveness. And again, Anonymous. thought we might like to start by just of um uh, looking at these quotes and uh, and thinking about what do they say you know what do they say to you about forgiveness and maybe maybe in contrast to the way that you maybe used to think about forgiveness or forgiving someone
1: um well, I think the overarching theme of these quotes and then the sort of what we talk about in meetings um, in terms of forgiveness, it's uh letting go of the past and it's not really about the other person so much as it is about myself forgiveness is something i do for myself and um i used to think of forgiveness as a sort of a gift or like a benevolence that i bestowed on somebody who had harmed me and i it was a, it was definitely from a control aspect like oh i'm going to forgive you because i'm going to be the better person and blah 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 you know and mm-hmm now i think of forgiveness as something i do for me and it doesn't really have that much to do with other the other people involved um on the other end of that so i think that's what a lot of those quotes say to me
0: yeah and i have to say that certainly before i came to elonon um you know my understanding of forgiving somebody was that that uh well first pretty much they had to say they were sorry Mm-hmm. Um, they had to apologize whatever uh, I, if if that didn 't happen, then how could I forgive them mm-hmm. uh, that uh, and and you 're right, it was sort of a gift uh, and that and that also that forgiveness that if, if I forgave you for something in a minute, it was okay that maybe it was okay that whatever you did um, or or since you said you were sorry now it 's okay, and that you know if you did it again. Well, then, you know, I sort of had to take back the forgiving, because when I forgave you, you said you were sorry, and I forgave you, you know, you were supposed to stop doing it. And, you know, that really didn't work very well in an alcoholic relationship, where the alcoholic could be really repentant for their behavior, but then they go and do it again. Hmm. And, uh, and it's like, well, I ju- I, you know, how can I forgive you when you keep doing it? Uh, and uh, and that I mean I think that's a, something that a lot of us struggle with, uh, in in the in the program and in relationships with uh, sick people like alcoholics, um, and certainly uh, coming into Al-Anon and not recognizing the disease nature, thinking that that these behaviors were deliberate and voluntary, uh, also really inhibited being able to find forgiveness. Um. Did you have this uh, this notion that, that forgiving somebody meant that, you know, it was okay and they were okay and, and you know, that there was no more barrier or anything?
1: Yeah, I, I saying forgiveness, saying I forgive you to me used to mean, like, what you did was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, I, I when you mentioned someone had to say they were sorry, I always wanted someone to say they were sorry, but then when they said it, it didn't make that made me feel any better Hmm. because I was still so angry and resentful at their actions. And so for me, forgiveness was, it was like saying, Oh, it was okay. And then I have to completely forget that it ever happened and had to go on treating the person, you know, the same way. And I didn't understand that there was things I could do on my end and change my behavior based on another person's. I didn't, I saw myself as kind of a victim of their actions. And so if I said it was okay and if I forgave them, it meant that they could go on doing what they were doing and keep hurting other people or keep hurting me. And there's, I think there's more that goes along with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, something you said. And I was like, oh, wow. Yes. And, and it had to do with, um, I th- it had to do with the other person admitting that they were wrong that i didn 't think I could forgive somebody unless um, they admitted that what they had done is wrong, you know that they had apologized or whatever and it 's sort of what I said before but it 's um, and the idea that 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 the forgiveness was not only for that i 'm trying i 'm trying to figure out how to put this that um, what you said about you know when you forgave somebody, then then they were okay again and everything was okay and and oh I know I know what it was it was about the the slogan um, slogan it's not really I mean it's a saying forgive and forget that um, I think there's a notion that we hear that when you forgive somebody for something then you also forget about what it was they did mm-hmm. you know that it's no longer it's no longer there and it no it. It, it's sort of like, well, I forgive you for that, so it didn't happen, and we're okay now. And I think that there are times when we don't want to forget. Um, and that, I think that gets into this, um, what you were saying about you can change your behavior, that um, I guess, it, so an analogy is, is if I um, touch a hot stove, and I get burned. Well, that's that's sort of entirely. You know, it's not the stove's fault that I got burned, right? And and if I just forget that touching a hot stove burns me, well, I'm going to do it again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get that same injury again. And and that can also be true in my relationships with with people that sometimes. Um, and again, I come back to you know people with an addiction. Who are doing things that are controlled by the by their uh, illness, by their disease, and and if I, you know, they do something that hurts me, and I forget, I say, okay, well, you know, that happened, but it's over, and it's not going to happen again, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, and then I go touch that stove again. I go back into that same situation with that person who's still um, not not in recovery. Um, you know, I'm going to get hurt again, and. And then I'm like, well, why should I bother forgiving? Because you keep doing it. And I think the the answer there is that is forgiveness. And I, I read this somewhere, and I should I, I should have tried to dig it out. I didn't remember it until just now, but somebody said forgiveness lets us remember,
2: hmm. uh,
0: and it it lets us learn. Because if we can, if I can remember that this was not a good situation that you know whatever it was and and i'm i'm uh i'm not having a good example right now in my head but um if i can remember that when you know like when i go to a party with my loved one when she was still drinking um she would get drunk and you know i would get embarrassed and and if i keep doing that then i'm going to keep she's going to keep getting drunk and i'm going to keep getting embarrassed and and so I can't if I say well you know okay I forgive you for what you did last night but don't do it again and then you do it again she does it again I can say well I forgive you for what you did last night because I know you you know you weren't in control of yourself uh, because you know that demon inside you said drink 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 um, and I'm not going to go to parties anymore with you and because I don't want to be in that situation and so I can let go of the the pain from the previous incident, but I can also do something to make sure that it doesn't happen again.
1: Right. Well, and I I like that forgiveness lets us remember. And I think the thing I got from what you were just sharing, Spencer, is not so much that we shouldn't forget what people do, but that we have choices. I think that forgiveness, I mean, I think responding to... Right. Part of part of being in Al-Anon is learning that we have choices, and before when I didn't believe that I had choices, I believed that I was compelled to do as much as I possibly could to keep p- friends from abandoning me and from and I wanted to keep them to like me and that I had no choice over that. Yeah. I I forgave because I had no choice because if I didn't forgive them, they would go away and they would leave me, and so. I think choice is the most is the most one of the good things that comes out of forgiveness, and I think that just in response to what you said about forgiveness lets us remember if something is really painful i'm still harboring a resentment against that person or that event um, i don't want to think about it because when I think about it, those emotions that I have um a, surrounding that resentment they come back and they make me angry and sad um so for me remembering what um being able to remember what someone did and just look at it like i'm looking at a fact like my former close friend who i believe may be an alcoholic i don't want to she has to figure that out for herself but yeah. i believe she may be an alcoholic she, one time when we were drinking, she attacked me hmm. um, and I was drinking and she was drinking and we got into a argument and she started hitting me and I can look back and I say, I can say my former best, my best friend at the time attacked me and I, and, you know, I still feel emotions about it and I don't, I, I think forgiveness is going to be a process for that situation, but I don't – because I know – because I think about forgiveness differently now and because I think about it in terms of resentments and letting go of resentments, I think that I can say that and I don't have to worry about the kind of emotions and I don't have to – I don't have to go into this tirade like I used to about she's this and she's that and she's – you know, she was sick. And I think forgiveness in terms of alcoholism really – is dependent on understanding the disease of alcoholism because I really do think that when she was, when she's drinking her behavior changed and was negatively impacted by her drinking. And the person she is on the inside of all that would never do that to anybody. Hmm. She really would not. And I believe that entirely because I come to these rooms and I go to open AA meetings and I hear the stories and I have a better understanding of the disease of alcoholism, and so I can move towards forgiveness. So, and I can remember without crying and going into a panic.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's that, and that is that is so true. I mean, I still am. I'm struggling with something that happened um, last year, uh, where. Um, I was hurt by the action of a friend. I I'm, I'm going to I'm not going to say a friend did something that hurt me. I'm going to say I was I was hurt um because I think that you know what they did was something that they needed to do for themselves and and that it was not aimed at hurting me. Mm-hmm. But I was hurt by it. Mm-hmm. And I'm working towards uh, working towards forgiveness and it's been a process. Um it's not uh, and and I think that that actually leads pretty nicely into the the next thing I wanted to talk about, which are some of the tools that we use uh, to move from anger and resentment to forgiveness. But before I do that, uh, we've had a little activity in the chat room here. Uh, we got Mark from Recovered Podcast has said several things. He said, "Forgiveness is only for the strong," and and I think it's definitely true that it it does take a certain um, inner strength, a certain spiritual strength, to be able to find forgiveness for. Oh yeah. For somebody who's maybe not repentant, or uh, or uh, even if they are, may, or they keep doing something, uh, and uh, he also said, and I think this this is uh, le- leads right into or, or relates right to the discussion we were just having. And he says, forgiveness can't change the past, but it may change the future, um, and that is I like that. I like that, Mark. Me Thanks. too. Um, and then he says, forgive your enemies; it pisses them off. <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah, careful with that. And, uh, <laughs> um, we have a, 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 a new listener today, I think uh, named Jen. Uh, welcome, Jen.
1: Hey, Jen.
0: And uh, also uh, Mark and Milana are, are here. Awesome. And one new message. Let's see what we got here. Two new messages. Wait, come, come back. Okay, everybody says hi. okay. <laughs> All right, but the the tools uh, for finding uh, or, or for moving moving from anger and resentment, uh, and hurt uh, to forgiveness and what are the tools that we have in the program here um, and one of the things that's been really important for me in, in this process um, that, I, that I talked about a minute ago uh, finding forgiveness for a friend whose action um, I was hurt by and part of that has been uh, basically doing sort of the fourth step Doing an inventory of, you know, what was what was going on in the relationship I had with this friend, and what was my part, and I'm as 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 I look at it, as I go to meetings, as I listen, as I listen to podcasts, as I read literature, um, you know, I'm I'm finding finding what how my character defects probably contributed to. you know, the fallout as Mm -hmm. it were. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, that's helping to reduce, um, reduce the, you know, the pain that I felt, the hurt that I felt. And I actually, I can't say that, that I have found total forgiveness yet for, for that action. Um, I do understand that, um, you know, it was what, what my friend had to do at the time. And, and, and for that, I can let go. But um, I think it's, I you know, sort of like you were saying with your friend. You know, stuff just comes up, and and um, I feel a little bit of that pain over again, and and so I'm I'm still working on it. But but definitely, inventory has been um, an important tool for me in working through that that particular uh, situation. Mm. Um,
1: I think I agree. I think that the steps are. If you asked me my personal opinion, if you wanna let go of resentments, do some step work and any step work I think is helpful. Um, the first the way the steps are designed is it has us, you know, get in touch with the fact that we're not in control of other people and um then it has us go through and look at ourselves and then it has us eventually after we do that sort of work on ourselves first, then we you know through steps eight and nine, I think can really address some of the things that we've done to others. And I, I, just think the whole process is a great way to, um, move towards acceptance of who we are and acceptance of who other people are. And it's a, it's a gift to finally gain more, a little bit more understanding about the nature Of human beings. And Mm -hmm. however, I really do believe, I didn't believe this before the program, but now I truly do believe that people are doing the best with what they have. And so it's one of the, I I really think like one of the tools, the steps as a tool sort of help us forgive others from the inside out. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jen had a comment here uh, about a tool. She says, a tool that I use In Sifting Through My Anger and Resentment is to acknowledge that their behavior stems from a disease. Mm -hmm. And I want to get to that in a minute. But um, we had um, a reflection on forgiveness that uh, Diane, one of our listeners, sent to us. She said, I don't like the word forgiveness. It has long been a confusing and challenging idea and practice for me. Growing up in the family disease of alcoholism led to misunderstandings and distortions of many things, including words— I'm sorry and I forgive you were often forced expressions devoid of meaning. Tell your sister you're sorry. Say you forgive her. Lip service, band-aids. Saying something was okay when it really wasn't. Observing that the same behavior often persisted after the I'm sorry. Internally, there was guilt and self-condemnation because if I was really good, I would be able to honestly forgive. I found the dictionary to be a useful recovery tool. Webster says forgive equals give up resentment against or the desire to punish. Give up all claim to punish or exact penalty for an offense. Whoa! I can forgive without saying someone's bad behavior is acceptable or forgotten, and without volunteering for ongoing abuse. Remarkable. I attended a an Alan- recent and meeting on forgiveness. There were others struggling with this word as well. Many of the shares were about harboring resentments, being judgmental of others, and how it makes us sick. Heard one of my favorites. Holding on to resentments is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Forgiving is for me, not the other person. It frees up energy to put into recovering from this powerful cunning and baffling disease. It relieves me of the poison that makes me sick in mind, body, and spirit. I'm still not fond of the word forgiveness, but I do want to give up all claim to punish myself and (laughs) others and leave the judging to a power greater than myself.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks thanks, Diane. Diane.
0: Really. Um, and I, I, a couple things that I I pulled out of there. One is the uh, the power greater than myself. Um, you know that uh, if I feel that punishment is needed, um, I'm probably not the person to that's going to be giving the punishment, and whatever that punishment might be. Um, there's there's this often uh, quoted phrase from the Bible that I think people sometimes misunderstand or misinterpret. Which is vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And if we read that in the context of this understanding, God's saying, I will do the punishing. Um, you know, it's not yours to do. And that can, be, that can be helpful that, you know, they have their higher power and it's not me. Mm-hmm. And that they have consequences from their actions as well. Um, and those consequences are not mine to give. Uh, and that trying to exact vengeance on somebody—I don't even like that word—but trying to exact vengeance on somebody will almost always rebound onto me and and make me sicker. Yes, <laughs> I don't know. What do, what do you have to say?
1: Well, that that is so true. I'm just thinking, just to follow up on that um, story I shared about my friend. She, my form of vengeance which was so tempting and I I really, really wanted to do it was to, would have been to tell before the program would have been to tell everyone. I knew this story about how she hurt me and how she physically started hitting me while we were drinking and she was angry and being able to going around and telling every single person that I knew that knew her would have been a great for me form of vengeance. And by the grace of my higher power, I I did tell the people that I wanted to tell for myself, mm-hmm. um, the ones that I have was closest to. Um, so I probably told – if you count my parents as two, I told four people. Mm-hmm. And um, because it wasn't my business and it wasn't my responsibility to make sure everybody knew that she was this horrible person because – a I didn't think really think that. When I was if I was being honest, I really didn't think she was a horrible person. And I had to ask myself what my motives were and if my motives were to just get back at her, that for me at the time was not the next right thing. The next right thing that I knew from you know, being in the program is to take care of myself and to decide what, you know, if I wanted to respond, how I wanted to respond. And I think it was probably one of the healthier Responses that I've had um, that I can definitely see as a difference um, um, compared to what I would have done before, you know, working the steps and being in Al-Anon. So,
0: wow, absolutely! Um, Another uh, tool that I found helpful in in my relationship with my alcoholic was uh, compassion, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that. Compassion comes from understanding, which was definitely mentioned in one of those uh, quotes that we read at the beginning, um, and, which I'm not finding it right now, but it's it, it was there. Yeah. Um, and uh, so coming to Al-Anon and particularly, so hearing other people talk about their relationships with their, uh, their loved ones and the alcoholic or addict behavior of their loved ones helped me to... See that that her behavior was not unique to her, was not unique to me, and we now sometimes have these little code conversations where we say, "Oh, that's so alcoholic." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, recognizing that 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 the things that our loved ones do really come from the the effects of this disease of addiction or alcoholism on their thinking and on their on their way of acting. The other thing that made a big difference in that understanding and in finding compassion was going to open AA meetings, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: hearing that story. I was having this conversation with somebody just the other day about how we can hear something from somebody who, as I put it, has no skin in the game, has no axe to grind with us. And we can hear it much more clearly and understand it than when we hear it from somebody who's who's close to us, who's involved in a situation. And we were actually having this conversation about um, some stuff at work where we had been saying that the group that I work with, which is, um, we're sort of the software architecture group at, at my, at my company. And we had been saying, you know, we need to do things in this way and, and we need to make changes in the way we do things. If we really want to accomplish this goal that we've set for ourselves. And, people would say, yeah, okay, whatever. And the management would effectively say, yeah, okay, whatever. And then keep on doing things the same way. And a few months ago, they had an outside consultant come in and he he said a lot of the same things that we've been saying. <laughs> and he said some other things that, that came from a different perspective, that came more from a, a perspective of um, the business as a whole, rather than just from the sort of more technical perspective that we've been looking at it from, and they took that whole package and said, "Oh, wow, we really need to change the way we're doing things." And it, I was having this conversation with my friend, and we we're like, "Wow, people are like, they're all on board with this thing, and they're and they're they're being so cooperative." <laughs> and I said, "Yes, yeah, because you know, somebody who who didn't have uh, you know." Somebody who wasn't part of the organization said it. Somebody who was perceived as neutral said it. And so when I go to an open AA meeting and I hear hear somebody's story, I I can relate it to the experience that I had, but I can also look at it much more objectively. And then I and then when I relate it, I can say, oh, and gee, that's sort of the same thing as as you know, I experienced or as my alcoholic experienced it. And I can start to see what when also people are talking about their experiences, sort of from a point of more clarity than when when they're they're in it, mm-hmm. um, and I could understand that from from their experiences, I could understand that that you know my alcoholic my wife did not want to be doing what she was doing um, at the point she was at that this was not fun for her, uh, and that that she really wanted to, to change, and but I could hear from their experience how hard it was to make that change. Um, And that only for most people, only that moment of clarity that, that came along at some point, you know, that, that constituted a bottom, only that moment of clarity got them out of it. And so by having understanding, I could find compassion. And with that compassion, I could understand that the things she was doing, um, were not directed at me. And, then I found forgiveness,
1: I think it's also important for me to remember just that I'm not going to be that moment of clarity for somebody, so if i yes. decide I want to inflict punishment on them, that doesn't mean that they're going to have a moment of clarity and you know my- desi- my default is in in life without mm-hmm. the help of the program is mm-hmm. to want to control other people's actions and attitudes mm-hmm. and um. So I would often inflict punishment or inflict blame or whatever as so that the other person would see what they were doing and change. I wanted them so badly to stop doing what they were doing, and I'm not going to be that moment of clarity. I'm not going to give someone their moment of clarity. That is going to be between them and their higher power. And I think that understanding that is getting me to a place where I can forgive those who are sick who have who I have been harmed by, who I've been hurt by, yeah, and it also can get me to think about how I harm other people, and you know how people decide whether or not they're going to forgive me, and that it isn't up to me to earn their forgiveness back and beg for their forgiveness, it's not up to me to give them that moment of clarity either, so
0: yeah, yeah, another tool that often comes up um, in certainly in, in discussions and meetings is praying for the person that we're resentful mm-hmm. or angry at and a friend of mine said yeah sometimes i can the only thing i can manage is the the sob prayer which is god help that sob uh, but you know it's it's true i mean when i when i consciously am asking god to to help the other person um, it does also help to wash away some of the anger, and resentment, and hurt that I feel. And again, I think this goes back to what, what Jen said, uh, of, you know, recognizing that at least the behavior of, of our addicts and alcoholics comes from an illness. Uh, you know, other people, not so sure. But <laughs> I, think, I think recognizing humanity in other people, uh, it, helps with, it helps me to see their humanity. When I can ask God to hold them in love, because they are human, Um, and as humans, we are faulty, and we make mistakes, and we do things that hurt other people.
1: So that takes, I I really want to jump in with this quote that I really like, and I know a number of people have used this in shares. It's from um, How Al-Anon Works for Families and Friends of Alcoholics, which is one of our conference-approved literature pieces. And um, it's in tradition, the Tradition 5 section of book, page 113. It says, "Everyone deserves love. Even those of us even those who have treat us, treated us badly. Holding on to blame and resentment resentment hurts us far more than it hurts anyone else. Harboring ill feelings toward the alcoholics in our lives keeps us tied to an ongoing cycle of bitterness that can only make us feel miserable and victimized. Changed attitudes aid recovery. We can strive to understand the alcoholics, recognizing that they suffer from a disease that affects their thoughts and actions. Like any other human beings, they are doing their best with what they have, and they deserve our compassion and respect. Adopting this attitude may be the most generous gift we can give to ourselves. And I love that quote. I just, even just the first line, everyone deserves love. Yeah. That concept in and of itself is really powerful to me.
0: Yeah. And,. And uh, also, you know, the recognition that that holding on to uh, anger and resentment is, or whatever it said there, uh, hurts us.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that comes with that that clarity, that self examination that we're asked to do in the program, and to recognize that um, who am I hurting here? Uh, if I'm really angry at somebody who's no longer in my life, who am I hurting? I'm not hurting the other person, um, and maybe I have to pray to have that hurt removed. Maybe I have to you know pray for the the ability to to let go um, so sometimes we might find ourselves in in a place where we we feel that we've been done harm that's unforgivable, and I found myself. Well, Jen brought up the question of, of how do we forgive ourselves? And a few months ago, I realized, I remembered, I was finally willing to admit to myself, I'm not sure, that I had done some harms to my children when they were young, that I had not really, well, had not made direct amends about, certainly, that I had not admitted to God myself and to another human being until that moment. I actually went back uh, to the person that I had done my fifth step with most recently and said, I need to talk about this. I need to tell you about this thing that I did. And after I, I laid it out, they said, Spencer, that wasn't on your fifth step. Hmm. I said, yeah, I know. That's what I'm telling you now, because it needs to be. You know, I need to get it out in the open. But then I found, found myself in this dilemma of how how do I forgive myself for these things that I did that I really knew were wrong at least morally at the time and I did them anyway? How do I find that forgiveness for myself? And as luck would have it or as my higher power would have it, I'm not sure which, at the at the sort of the, in the same week that I was struggling with this I heard a first step talk by a friend in the program who talked about having been abused as a child um, by, I think, by his father. I don't remember. I think it was his father. It doesn't really matter. And that he had found forgiveness for his father and and had moved, you know, moved past that and let go of it. And, and afterwards I said, how? How did you find forgiveness for that? You know what it it, it seems to me is, is an unforgivable action on the part of a parent and and my friend said, "Well, I recognized that he was doing the best that he could with who he was and what he knew and and what he was able to do at the time and i it just I don't know I was in awe, but and I said, "You know, I'm struggling with this," and he said, "You know, maybe you knew it was wrong." At that moment, you didn't know any other way to do what you did to 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 do it. And I said, "Hmm, you know." And that's so. I'm still, I'm still sort of sitting on that. But I it, it this recognition that that I found myself and and you know these were actions that came generally came out of um, anger or frustration, probably more often frustration, um, and that. At that time, I did not have tools to do differently than what I did, and I think I can forgive myself for that. Um, then comes the question of making amends, which is a totally different um, step here. But, uh, <laughs> but I think
1: that is really important in in to answer Jen's question. I, I personally, I believe that eighth and ninth step are imperative, um, and I think that. It's a process, understanding that it's gonna be a process. Um, but the eighth step says we make a list of all persons we had harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. And nine is making direct amends to such people wherever possible, except and to do so would injure them or others. Now for those of you who are new and haven't worked any of the steps or anything like that, these don't I'm really glad that these steps are eight and nine because <laughs> I when I first came into the program I did not like the idea of making amends to anybody because I really I what they had done so much more harm to me that was my I mean that was my mindset is they've done so much more harm to me and I I have people on my amends list that I'm not willing to make amends to right now and I trust in my higher power and I trust in the experience and wisdom of people in the program who have done their amends that that willingness will come if I ask for it and I continue to seek the help of my higher power and I know from the literature and I know from the experience of people in the program that that making amends is a really positive experience in letting go of the resentment that we have towards ourselves for the things that we've done and the mistakes we've made. And and I think that from what I've heard from other people and from what what I've done so far on those steps, I have a, long, a lot of work to do <laughs> still. I'll admit that. I'm fine to admit that. Um, what I've done so far is that I, I, I really feel... I, I I trust, and I have faith that making amends is the a way to start really changing our behavior so that we aren't as likely to make those mistakes over and over again. Um, even if it's we only make it one more time rather than two or three more times, but just admitting where we were wrong and admitting it out loud to the person that we harmed is I think something that definitely is a big part of moving towards forgiving ourselves for those things we've done in the past yeah
0: and and you're right that in this case, um, at, you know at one point, I was thinking, I don't think I can make direct amends to my children before I' found for some forgiveness for myself. But also that part of the process of finding forgiveness, I think, comes through making amends. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's hard about this for me is this is this is behavior that, that I stopped a long time ago. Um, but and and so you know that I can I can go and I can say I did this and I'm sorry, and I'm not doing it now. But if making amends is making it right, there's no, there's no way that I could see that I could actually make it right, and I think that is part of what makes it harder to forgive myself for it. That I, I can't go back and change it. Mm. Um, you know, there was harm done, uh, and, and and I don't know what what a good form of amends is, uh, other than, I guess, saying. You know, saying to them, you know, this experience you had, sort of validating their experience and validating that it was, it was not correct parenting, it was not good parenting. I don't know. I still struggle with that, as you can see.
1: Well, and uh, I struggle with that too because one of the things I think is scary about making amends is that I don't know where to go. And I, when I was working the ninth step with my sponsor, I asked her, I go, how do I know what I'll, what to do for amends? And she said, Well, you could ask the person and I'm like, Oh gosh. But it's the most logical, really the most logical response and and asking the person after you say, I've done this, I've done this, what can I do to make it up to you? That is a choice that we have as part of making events. I can't say that I've asked someone straight up what I could do to make it up to them, but I know that it's it takes a lot of courage to sit down and and make amends with someone. And it's hard. It's really hard. And I'm almost getting, I get emotional thinking about it because I don't want to be that vulnerable and that at the mercy of another person because that, then I have to actually let go and let go of that control to my higher power. And if I ask the person what I can do to make it up and then they tell me, I mean, I have to try my best to do that. And, that is being put in a very vulnerable position for me, and but I know that it's the right thing to do, so it's nice that I mean working the step I think working steps eight and nine with a sponsor is very important, yeah, like do I do not suggest working any of the steps by yourself um but I think that. I sought the most help with understanding amends through my sponsor, and and I got a lot of help and a lot of tools and a lot of options that I could do. And it and it is a process. It's not something that happens overnight, and it's not something that I have to complete. It's not like this list I have to complete by a certain day. It's right. but it is something that I know. The sooner I get it done, the the more the sooner I can take that. Those proverbial scissors and cut that string of, res- you know, resentment against myself. Mm-hmm. Like I can let mm-hmm. go of that resentment as soon as I actually sit down and make amends.
0: Yeah, and a comment from um, Milana, which I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, in the in the chat room about uh, she says I think that in that kind of situation like child abuse, it's sometimes the victim who needs to forgive himself or herself that he or she was blaming himself or herself for the situation. And, uh, and she says, for me, it's more acceptance of the past than forgiveness is needed to move forward. And I think that's definitely true. I mean, acceptance, which I know we talked about acceptance quite a while ago. Um, acceptance is a huge tool for me in in helping to find forgiveness. Because in accepting that what has happened happened, uh, as as uh, I heard it put once, you know, even God can't change the past. Um, that that acceptance can help me to um, to find forgiveness, let go of um, you know resentment that I have on somebody else for something that happened in the past, hmm. um, and in this case, um, the. Uh, you know, the acceptance that as a child in particular, you're not, you're usually not in control of what happens to you. You're very much as not in control of what happens to you. But um, it's so easy for a child to try to take responsibility for things that goes on around them, you mm-hmm. know. And and sometimes as children, we get those messages. Well, you just ruined our whole vacation because you did this thing. Um I'm sorry, you know. Mm. Uh, I'm a child. I don't have that much control, uh, and uh, you know, and and to be believe that you're responsible for um, the abuse that somebody else put on you, probably because maybe because they told you you are. You know, if you were a better, if you were a better child, I wouldn't have to hit you. Um, that's a huge responsibility to put on somebody who is really it is totally not their responsibility at all. Um yeah, and uh, and that actually is helping me to think about um how how i'm making amends to uh, to my children for for some of the things that i did and you know i've mm-hmm. talked about my anger rage issues um uh, before where i would just explode yeah. and they were often the target of that explosion and i have talked more to my daughter than to my son about it because she she brings it up. Um, <laughs> giving me an opportunity to uh, to make direct amends, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the the recent one, and I think I mentioned it on the on this show, is uh, we were uh, we were driving somewhere, and and she she talked about a conversation she had had with her mother, where she said to her mother, she said, you know, the parent that I felt safe with was the one who would, you know. Blow up and screaming, and, and pound the table, and I would have to go hide in the other room till it was over. And that was the parent I felt safe with. And <laughs> that did not make me feel real good, as you might, 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 uh, but that, you know, it gave me an opportunity to be able to say, you know, that was not your fault. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not what you did, um, that made me blow up. Uh, it was me, it was me, um, holding in anger and rage. Uh, and then letting it come out when, you know, something minor happened that totally did not merit that response. Um, and that one, that one, that behavior I've made amends for because, for one, I stopped doing it, <laughs> you know. Um, but I can still see the effects that that has had on my children and continues to have on the way they react to situations today. And so there's, you know, there's a continual process where I have to continue to find forgiveness for myself because I can see the effects of what, you know, what my actions did, um, even now.
2: Um,
0: But I have to, you know, acceptance helps here because again, I was not, you know, I can't change what happened. Um, I can only do the best I can going forward. I can only change the way I am. And if one of the ways that I can make amends for, the way in which I hurt my children um, is to work with other young people uh, and to give them, you know, an adult in their life who at least has some recovery and Mm. (laughs) at least uh, can act in a, in a more um, humane and loving way towards them than maybe some of the other people in their lives. You know, that's, that's something I can do. Um, I can, I can do it for, other people who might be in the same place that my kids were Um, in, in some very small ways sometimes, but uh, you know, I can't change what happened to my kids.
1: Well, I think the minute that you stepped into recovery, Spencer, you, I mean, that's breaking that cycle. Like it it can't, you kept, you can't change the past, but you're you're doing your best to stop those patterns. And that's what you, I mean, that, I think, I think it's important to recognize what we are doing now to make ourselves better by being in recovery. And I think that when we look at the present and say, I'm not doing it anymore. And so many people, I think, in this world don't ever get that opportunity and mm-hmm. they don't ever get that perspective and that new way of life that we get. And I, I, feel, I feel so, so blessed to be able to even just stop this stop the pattern so that it's not this something that just happens for the rest of my life and my kids are, you know, my possible children yeah. and their children yeah. are affected by. And so the fact that you are stopping, no matter what, you know, at this, I mean, you stopped for how, how many years ago you came into recovery, that is, that's amends in itself, I think.
0: It is, it is. And, and, I need to continue to remind myself of that and it's you know this is one of the things that's really helpful in in coming to meetings and talking to people to you know, having a sponsor is that I can get that voice that's outside of myself that can mm. and and knowing people, you know, over a period of years now in recovery and they can look at me and say, Hey, you know, you really have changed.
1: Yeah, look at where you've come from,
0: where and you've come from. Because I don't always see that change from inside myself. One of the things that I I think we have alluded to, but not really talked about directly, is so if we're in a relationship with somebody who is not well, who is not in recovery, um, and we can find forgiveness for things they've done in the past, but we have this understanding that these things might happen again in the future. Um, One of the tools that we can use here is to set boundaries, to say, um, you know, I'm not going to continue to be angry at you for this thing that happened, but I'm also setting these boundaries to, so that I'm not in the situation that it will happen again. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I talked a little bit about that with the sort of the party example, and you know, basically we stopped going out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and and I don't think we 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 stopped going out for healthy reasons at the beginning, but you know, recognizing that I didn't have to put myself in a place where I was being affected by, um, you know, her behavior was was a, a healthy thing for me to understand uh, and to to make the choice to do that rather than to just sort of hide. Um,
1: the podcast that you that that this po- this program did many moons ago—I don't remember when it was—but it was about boundaries. Really changed my whole. It was like life-changing for me just to hear those discussions because. Boundaries, to me, are not something I say to another person that they have to do. Mm-hmm. It's um, bound- A boundary is deciding how I will respond if someone should do a certain behavior. And I don't always think of them out loud or like purposefully. Um, a boundary that I had developed um, because of the program as a result of coming to meetings and working the steps was that I don't have to be in a situation that makes me feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. And um, just to follow up on my whole example that I've been using this podcast is um, yeah. I decided that I did not have to be around this person anymore because I did not know what was going to happen, like every time I hung out with this friend, it was very un- it got to be very unpredictable. Um, and the mood would change very quickly. And the fact that violence was involved for the first time, that was kind of my boundary. Like I probably, I think I took a lot from a lot of, from this person. And I think I, I have amends to make to her as well. Um, but I think for me, the boundary there was violence. And once that happened, um, that was when I said, okay, I'm not healthy around her. I don't feel good about the way i re i interact with her, and I kept the I had to keep the focus on myself because if i didn't it would just be turn into a control thing, so I decided for my own best interest and my own recovery and for my own serenity i my boundary was that I needed to break off contact with this person for for a while
0: yeah i I looked back and uh episode forty four uh, was titled. Setting boundaries without controlling that mm. might be the one you're thinking of. That be- was it. Yeah, we also talked about boundaries in our first pilot when we didn't really know what we were doing yet. And okay, we kind of uh, that was like a twenty-minute uh, conversation. We said, "Yeah, well, put it up, whatever."
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah, episode forty-four was in October of uh, twenty thirteen.
1: I strongly suggest that anybody interested go listen to it because so it helped me.
0: Well, thanks. Um, always good to hear that. <laughs> You had a reading bit. that you wanted I to uh, to close with.
1: It's kind of it kind of just summarizes what we've been saying. Forgiveness is no favor. We do it for no one but ourselves. We simply pay too high a price when we refuse to forgive. Lingering resentments are like acid eating away at us. Rehearsing and rehearsing old injuries robs us of all that is precious. Shame never liberated a single spirit. And self-righteousness never softened a heart. Can we afford to perpetuate such self-destructiveness? Surely we can make better use of our time and energy. Although we may despise what others have done, if we keep in mind that everything we are now trying to do has the goal of healing us, we are bound to decide that the best thing we can do for ourselves is to forgive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I just want to I, I put in this little, not exactly slogan, but thing that to me is kind of the counterpoint to the, the thing about resentment is like eating poison. Um, and this is something that has helped me in finding forgiveness, which is forgiveness is letting go of the wish for a better yesterday. So after a short break, we'll continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and about what's happening in our lives. I'm going to take a break with Christina Aguilera's song, Hurt. And she wrote this uh, in memory of her father in an interview she said she was sorry because the last musical thing her father heard from her before he passed away was how she hated him for abusing her mother. She never got the chance to say I'm sorry I still love you before he died. The grief caused so much pain that she wrote a song for him telling how she was sorry for blaming him for everything bad that had happened in her parents relationship and to me this is a this is a story of finding forgiveness in her heart for her father, and recognizing that not having found that earlier and having acted out of resentment and anger, and this, you know, this other song that she wrote had hurt her. And so she wrote this as, you know, to some extent as an amend.
2: Seems like it was yesterday when I saw your face. He told me how proud you were, but I walked away. If only I knew what I know today. Ooh, ooh. I would hold.
0: The line in there that uh, really spoke out about the harm we do ourselves by not forgiving is when she sings, I've hurt myself by hurting you. So in this next section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And I went to a couple of meetings this week. I missed uh, my Wednesday night meeting again, which is becoming more of a pattern, unfortunately because I was working late, and I looked up and I said, oh, whoops, guess I'm not making it to the meeting tonight. Because <laughs> uh, something needed to get done, you know. Um, and unfortunately, that's the way it, life happens sometimes, but I, I do have other uh, recovery resources that, that I can use when that happens. I went to a meeting last Sunday night, and uh, one of the members at the meeting spoke up about a struggle he was facing uh, with his underage uh, teenage child who had been, I think, had been to rehab once and and had been in recovery and was apparently um, slipping and also uh, was in a relationship with somebody significantly older and and he wasn't sure which one he was more concerned about and he really didn't know what to do in either case. Uh, what was appropriate? What the? What did the program say? And and what what could he do? And he just sort of put it out there. He said, "This is what's happening, and I don't know what to do about it." And another young person at the table said, "Well, I was that sixteen-year-old, and nothing you said or did would have stopped me from <laughs> doing what I wanted to do at that time." Uh, and and. You know, gave some examples of of what, you know, what their what their parents did and and said, and and you know, which included, um, I think, taking away access to a car, taking away the driver's license, taking away their phone, uh, and uh, it didn't matter. Uh, they this person was hell bent on, and I think that that <laughs> expression may be. Uh, almost literal, uh, hell-bent on doing what they wanted to do, on, in, on doing the, the drugs and the alcohol they wanted to do, and being with the people they wanted to be with. And the fact, of course, that they were sitting at a table, and in fact sitting at an al table, meant that um, not only had they found uh, recovery from their substance issues, but that they also recognized that um, they had people issues that they, they they needed to deal with as well. And so... It was it was sort of like going to an open talk, you know, that it's the same time kind of frightening and reassuring. Like, wow, I really don't have control over mm-hmm. what my child does or doesn't do in this situation. But this person who was in the same place as my child is here in recovery. And so there there there's hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so it was it was it was an interesting meeting really was and I, and I talked to the guy afterwards and he he said that helped that hearing that from this other person at the table helped him to really clarify what he had control over and what he didn't have control over and what maybe he could do and what he couldn't do or what what, what probably wouldn't work if he tried to do it um, went to meeting yesterday morning uh, it was on the fourth step and, it's a good meeting, I like that meeting, and uh, yeah, you know, I walked in and this meeting, uh, first Saturday of every month, one of the tables uh, actually is working their way through the blueprint for progress. Yep. One or two I've questions, been there on that a week. Day yeah,
1: <laughs> at that table,
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, and, it's pretty cool. And I normally sit at that table, and I walked in and I saw all this those little blueprints scattered all over the table, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm not up for doing fourth step this morning, so I sat down at the other table, and we got we around. Have choices. Isn't we got nice. around through the reading and said, "Okay, we're doing step four this week." Like,
2: oh Aww, man, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I love it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess my higher power wanted me to talk about, uh, to to listen to about, and talk about step four. So we did, mm. and and it was it was pretty good actually. Um, there were some, a number of people talked about their experiences in doing step four and the different ways in which they'd done it at maybe at different points in their life. And also the several people at the table who were still working their way up to it. Um, and I hope that maybe those of us who had done it gave those people a little bit of um, encouragement, a little bit of maybe the feeling that, wow, it's it's not as bad as it looks like from the beginning, from, from the outset uh, and that it really Really had done good things for our recovery i I, re, I I have said, and I will continue to say that that my recovery really didn 't start until I did uh, an inventory and talked about it to somebody else that was the real beginning of of my my recovery i got you know i felt better I felt better before that uh, and but really getting better um, finding the gifts of the program did not happen for me without without actually working those hard steps.
1: Yeah, the real change. I, I relate to that.
0: Yep. So uh, I think that's what I've got for the week right now. How about you, Erica? How's your life been recently?
1: It was good. Um, I made it to Saturday night meeting last night. I think that my week has been mostly devoted to um, compassion to the alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, because last night I went to an open AA meeting. And I also this week, um, last weekend and um this week I actually for the past couple weeks I've Netflix has um released a couple movies that are about alcoholics and their loved ones. And one one of them is Flight, which I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. have talked about on this and Um, I watched that, and I almost had a heart attack in the first part of the movie. Um, It was really, really deep and touching, and um, I don't think I could have watched that movie with the same openness and willingness to um, understand the protagonist had I not been exposed to – the disease model of alcoholism and Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. And then I also highly recommend, if anybody's interested, in a movie called Rachel Getting Married, and it's about a young woman who's coming home from rehab for a family wedding. And that one's really sad and good and happy and all all everything in between, every range of emotion you could possibly feel you will feel watching that movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then um, the more comical side of things uh, that... Sorry, you know it's a good way to end it. Is the movie Twenty Eight Days with Sandra Bullock? (laughs) Yes, where it's about um, her twenty eight days in rehab, and um, it kind of leaves the movie open at the end. You don't really know what's going to happen, and um, it's that whole. It really reinforces that one day at a time in recovery. And even though I don't identify as an alcoholic um, right now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I do. I really like these movies now, and I saw Twenty Eight Days before I was in Al-Anon and oh. I watched it after and it was a completely different movie watching it after being in the program. And it was funnier. It was funnier watching it after because even though there's some sad moments in the in the movie, I have been blessed enough to be um, exposed to enough people in reco- who are in recovery from the disease that um, – some familiar themes always come up, and it's nice to be able to watch it and um, think of the loved ones that I have who are in recovery, and and it's nice. It was it was a good experience. So, and then on a personal level, with my own Alan on recovery, I've been really had a lot of opportunities at work mm. to practice the tools of the program or not practice them so well. And um, I've been struggling with really, really wanting to do a good job at work and really fo- – I, I haven't been focusing so much on what I'm doing as much as I've been focusing on what other people think of how I'm doing. Oops. Oops. <laughs> and the, the, the gift of all that is that I'm able to sit here right now with you, Spencer, and the rest of the people listening and admit um, – that that's what I've been doing and be able to say, you know, this is something I'm doing and I need to look at that and I need to use my tools and I need to pray and meditate about, um, you know, maybe what, what is my, what's really going on there. And, and um, the answer usually to all of this is uh, fear. And um, when fear comes up, I start bringing out some of those old tools that don't work so hot. And, um, you know, I start, you know, I work with All, all. I work with um, children with special needs and their families, and I have a I have a whole group of professionals that I work with, and we're all doing our very best. And I'm very new compared to some of them, and my mentor is very, very good at what she does. And um, I'm, you know, I know for me the focus, the sort of solution to all this week has been being open to um, accepting that I'm new. And i'm not going to have all the answers in my first i mean it's, I've only been doing it for three months officially since graduating, so i'm three months out of graduation. How in the world am going ha- am I going to have the answers to everything I'm not
2: mm-hmm.
1: so um, it's going to be a process for me and um it's I happen to pick a career that you don't really ever I'm never going to know everything because mm-hmm. there's always going to be a kid who comes in and they don't fit the mold or they don't fit a proto you know a prototype or like a no every kid is different so um i'm always going to be learning and growing and changing in this career and it's nice that when i can remember and when i can be gentle with myself and be gentle um and remind myself that you're doing the best you can with what you have or you know maybe you could be doing better with this this and this and being able to look at that and change as necessary has been something i've been working on this week
0: Thanks, Erica. Um, mm-hmm. I have seen two of those three movies. Okay, um, I saw Flight in the theater, and I mean the first part of it was kind of like you know an action movie thing, so it wasn't didn't didn't grab me quite as much as as it sounded like it grabbed you. But then I got extremely Oof. triggered later on when because I knew. He what what was going to happen? I quote knew what was going to happen, <laughs> and I didn't want it to happen because it reminded me so much of things that had happened in my past. Mm. Um, the ending surprised me. Um,
1: I thought it was a really realistic view at the disease. Yeah, though. yeah. yeah. Well, the,
0: the, certainly my friends who are who are alcoholics uh, kind of uh, yeah have said that about what happens um, that you know the uncontrollable. Nature of, of the disease, the the lack of control over alcohol in particular, and uh, I saw Sandra uh, Twenty Eight Days, uh, also on Netflix, I think, a while ago, and it is hilarious. Mm. Um, although, I know Joe on the Recovered Podcast hates it, but
1: <laughs> you know it's funny because I had a little Twitter conversation with the Recovered Podcast. Twitter account oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. while I was watching the movie oh, it so it was, was kind of nice
0: um, a movie that I saw last year um, that I I think it's not available for streaming yet every time I look it's I think I could pay Amazon money to be able to stream it <laughs> um, but I haven't got that uh, I saw it in the theater it was smashed
1: oh yeah that's based on a memoir I've seen the memoir
0: yeah and uh,
1: in the bookstore
0: it was I don't know maybe I saw it at a time when I needed to see it but it i really uh, enjoyed the movie and and found some uh, recovery understanding maybe wisdom something from it um and and also made me laugh made me cringe uh and uh i felt that as with any movie parts of it were not totally realistic um and i can't really i don't really want to talk about the parts that i didn't like without um spoiling uh, some of the uh, some of the surprises in the film, so I won't. So next week, uh, our topic next week is going to be Tradition 4. It's April. I'm going to talk about Tradition 4. Um, and uh, I think uh, Rachel, who was here a few weeks ago, is going to be joining me again for Tradition 4. And Tradition 4 says, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting another group or Al-Anon or AA as a whole. And what I like to do in the Tradition... Uh, discussions is also talk about how we use these traditions, not just in our meetings, but also in our lives and in our interactions with other people in our lives. Because, you know, I've heard it said that the, the steps are how I live with myself. The traditions are how I live with other people. Or as uh, a friend of mine put it a little more darkly, uh, the steps <laughs> keep me from committing suicide and the traditions me from keep me from committing murder. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like that. Uh, So anyway, uh, we'll have that discussion next week. And uh, yeah, um, we welcome your thoughts. Yeah, that's that's where I am. Mm -hmm. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. So um, leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or your questions about our upcoming topics, which include Tradition 4 next week, and also planning uh, living with active addiction or alcoholism, probably as a series of interviews. I want to release that one, I think, on Easter weekend. So I don't have to be up here doing a podcast on Easter. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, also talking with some local friends about uh, doing maybe sort of a um, roundtable about um, living with small children in in a family where there's active addiction and what maybe is is different about that and their experience. I don't have that experience, so I'm having to rely on other people. Hmm. Um, So we would love to hear from you. And uh, how can people send us feedback? How can they join our conversation?
1: Well, they can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now if you'd like. The number, again, is 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on our website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can also... Send an email to feedback, one word, at therecoveryshow.com. That's feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of forgiveness or about next week's topic of Tradition 4. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know.
0: And uh, if you want to know all about The Recovery Show, you can go to our website, uh, therecoveryshow.com, where uh, we have notes for each episode. We have a blog with uh, occasional meditations, uh, and we have links to the music that we've played. We also have links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. And there are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast uh, and the website. You can leave comments on the blog. You can suggest topics. You can suggest music, uh, you know. That's always a big part of planning each each episode is uh, what's the music, and I love to hear from other people because, you know, I have a particular musical experience and I often try to often tend to pick music from that experience, um, and so getting suggestions from other people that takes me outside of that, the stuff I'm familiar with is 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 a lot of fun, so just hop on over to the recovery show and enter the conversation there. And if you'd really like to join the conversation, I mean, literally, you could uh, be a guest host by a phone or Skype or uh, another any other electronic voice communication, you know, whatever. Um, so email to feedback at com if you're interested. And I really would like to thank those of you who have written to me about this. And um, I will be in touch with you about uh, accepting your offer for some upcoming shows. And Erica, do we have uh, voicemails, emails, comments this week?
1: Yes, we do. But first, uh, we're going to listen to a song called Forgiveness by Matthew West. Matthew West has spoken about his inspiration for this song, how it came from a story of a woman who had forgiven her daughter's killer. We will post a link to an interview he did with Katie Couric in the show notes at therecoveryshow.com slash 68.
0: Yeah, and actually, as I recall, this uh, um, there's there's two interviews there. One is with him about... Um, writing the song and then there's also um, an interview with the, the woman whose experience inspired the song It's the hardest thing to give away And the
2: last thing on your mind today It always goes to those who don't deserve It's the opposite of how you feel When the pain they cause is just too real take Everything you have to say the word Forgiveness Forgiveness It flies in the face of all your pride It moves away the mad inside It's always anger's own worst enemy Even when the jury and the judge say You got a right to hold a grudge It's the whisper in your ear Saying set it free Forgiveness
1: sent this note about the codependence episode hi spencer i really enjoy your show i listen to your podcasts often and they have really helped me deal with so many situations realizing that i do not have to pick up the rope has transformed my life my loved ones who have troubles still have those troubles but i'm finding myself able to love them and not go crazy sorry that's okay laura from south carolina
0: what kind of uh a, vo- a voicemail on the phone uh, by calling the phone number from Jen uh, in response to the most recent episode made a decision.
3: Hi Spencer. This is Jen in Virginia. I'm um, just finished listening to episode 67 made a decision and I have a few comments for you. Um, first about the, uh, your codependent need to have co-hosts that you talked about in the second segment of the podcast. Um, I just want to say that I think you do a great job, even when you're on your own, and I have never been disappointed to turn on an episode that's just you, and I've always found value in episodes that are just you, because even just your voice is another voice that's not inside my head, and certainly there's value in having additional perspectives, but just one more perspective is one more that can benefit me, so I wouldn't worry about that so much. I think
0: you're doing fine. And uh, and thanks, Jen. Uh, I do appreciate the vote of confidence, and <laughs> and I knew that, that it was, you know, it was in my head, uh, and and probably not representative reality. Uh, so we have uh, an email from Jay. Could you read that, Eric? Sure.
1: Spencer just wanted to write and let you know how much I enjoyed the recent episode on codependency. I was on a flight from New York City to Chicago with no Wi-Fi, but fortunately, I had downloaded the episode previously and was able to listen. I've heard a lot of episodes over the past year or so, and this was probably the best one. I believe it's largely because it was a solo show. While I think your guests are great, being on your own allowed you to get a lot more depth in, into a lot more depth on the subject. While it may not be your first choice, I'd highly recommend you do more solo shows in the future. Keep up the great work, Jay. Well, gee, thanks, Jay.
0: <laughs> no, no. Us he,
1: co-hosts over here.
0: <laughs> he says, I think your guests are great, okay? <laughs> He's trying to be I'm balanced. just I, joking, Spencer. Yeah, I'm just yeah. joking. He's just responding to my insecurity, okay? And I you know, appreciate that I have all these codependents listening yep. to the show who are <laughs> willing to call up and, and tell me that I'm just being insecure and I'm doing great. So, oh. uh, you know, thank you all. This is <laughs>
1: this is why I like Alan.
0: <laughs> right, and... uh Shannon uh, Shannon used the voicemail button on the website to comment on, um, I think it was, oh yes, the episode God's Will or Intuition.
4: Hi. Hi. My name's Shannon, and I'm listening to Intuition or God's Will, um, episode 61. Um, I'm a little confused, um, because I see the distinction being made about intuition And, uh, one knowing the will of his or her higher power. And under how do I know the will of my higher power, I see the, um, the fourth, um, bullet down says calm and then get feeling. And get feeling to me has always kind of been synonymous with intuition, but yet they're, separate here on the screen, because you have one being intuition, and then one how I know the will of my higher power, and then get feeling under that. So I'm just beginning to, I guess, realize that intuition and knowing God's will are not synonymous, as I've always thought that they pretty much were.
0: Um, well, Shannon, uh, I think you're confused because we're confused. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I went into that I mean, The episode was uh, inspired by a question um, that one of our listeners sent in, and I thought, okay, I'll take this question and I'll pose it. And, and I don't think that I necessarily meant to say that intuition could not be an expression of God's will. Um, I just wanted to explore the question. So, definitely, I was confused about what I was trying to say, and I know that my co-host on that episode did express that one of the ways that... Um, she experiences um, the voice of her higher power is is through her um, intuition or gut feeling or whatever. I think gut feeling and intuition may be very similar, actually. And I wanted to read uh, this from the book Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the promises uh, after step nine, where it says, just this one sentence, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. And to me, that sort of says that, that as we work the program, as we work the steps, as we gain clarity and, um, you know, find ourselves, uh, on the, on the trudging the road to happy destiny, as they put it, um, that we will find that our more and more, our intuition aligns with the will of our higher power. Do you have any thoughts about that, Erica?
1: Uh, well, I, I have to admit, I did not listen to that podcast, um, but it's that's an interesting question, God's will or intuition. I read that when I was first reading through the script, and I was like, "Who? Yeah. Who knows?" I honestly, <laughs> like, we're, t- t- situation by situation, I think that I, I, my intuition has changed. So I kind of I, with what Shannon said, like my intuition used to say control, 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 and um, you know I'm not working a good program. I go back to that. That's that's my default. As a lot of people say, it's my default way of operating, and so um, I think my intuition and my gut feelings of what to do sort of change, um, and depend. It really depends on where I'm at spiritually and if I'm in touch with my higher power. And um, anytime that I'm have a for me, anytime that I have a question about what to do, which it sounds like that's what that was. Mm-hmm. I have to ask – I have to check my motives. What are my motives? And if my intuition says, go tell that person that blah, 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 if my motive is to try to get them to change, that's not God's – I don't think that's God's will. But um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's kind of – I mean, yeah. I think that who knows is really my yeah. <laughs> answer to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, But it's good
1: to think about.
0: That's always a good question for me, and it's one that – um doesn 't always come naturally to me. I remember uh, calling up a friend recently and saying, You know I, I want to maybe do this thing, but i 'm really not sure if it's something I should do and i and you know I want to what are your th- what are your thoughts here And the friend said, Well, first question you ask yourself is what 's your motivation? Why are you thinking you want to do this thing what what you know what outcome are you looking for I'm like, Oh, turned out uh it was not something that I actually felt that I should do. Uh, yeah. after looking at it in that way. So yeah. that's always a good question. Um, okay, so we have a voicemail that just came in, like, as we're recording. Awesome. And, yeah, so let's... And let's, they don't mind if we play it? I have no idea. All right. <laughs> I assume, you know, I mean, we almost always play the voicemails, right? So when they come in. Um, so let's see what we got. Cool. Hey, Spencer, this is Akilah.
3: Um Thank you again for pronouncing my name correctly. I was talking about last week's show. Made a decision, which is awesome. I'm so glad you decided to do it by yourself. Uh, my comment is the that it's the made a decision part for me is when I start acting as if. I know a lot of people use it for came to believe, but for me, made a decision. That's when I have to start doing what I think a person who does the thing, does. I don't, okay, that doesn't make sense. What I mean is, for example, I was seeing a therapist so and she asked me, you know, what would it take for you to treat yourself the way you do your daughter? And so for me, I realized that I still have a problem taken with self-care. So I asked if I'm my own daughter, and I say, what would I do if this were my daughter when it's a situation that I'm facing where I know I need to do something to take care of myself but I don't know how to do it or I'm not quite as loving as I should be. Um, anyway, love
0: the show. Thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks, Aquila. It's great to hear your voice, and that's that's, that's good. That um, you have anything to to add to what she said? I
1: just want to thank you for your insight. That was really a good way of thinking about acting as if, because uh, I don't always understand what acting as if means. Uh, I hear a lot of people say it, and I'm like, okay, uh, cool. What does that mean? And I think that the way you put it is acting as if. I think a lot of us are care- i think i'm a caretaker I have a history mm-hmm. of caretaking and um so that that wow that was really insightful and I'm really thankful that you called in to see that
0: all right and uh so um as as you've heard um, maybe a couple times today um we it is possible to listen live while we are recording and we always enjoy having uh people in the chat room uh keeping us company while we're here. And I especially do when I'm doing it by myself because. What
1: is the loneliest number? (laughs) Yeah,
0: oh gosh. Oh no. Oh no, I'm going to have to go play that song. Otherwise, I won't get it out of my head. Earworm. Uh, It is an earworm. (laughs) It is absolutely an earworm. All right, well. you can listen live as a are recording. Um, there's a listen live link at the top of the page, and uh, you can interact with us in the chat room. So planning to record the next episode Sunday, April 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, which is 18 Greenwich time in case you need to translate because you're in Europe or, I don't know, Australia or something, or maybe even California. Uh, so, uh, so come on over. Check us out. Um, enjoy having you. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which are running about $60 a month, and you can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, and we have also put together a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the books link at the top of the page, and if you order one of these books through Amazon, uh, through the links on the website, we receive a small commission and in fact, anything you order from Amazon after you click on one of these links, even if you don't buy the book, um, will, uh, will help us. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. And I want to express gratitude to those of you who uh, have helped us and continue to help us in this way. I have no idea who you are. Uh, Amazon does protect your privacy. Uh, and uh, my, so my thanks to all of you uh, anonymously out there. But thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, uh, which might be just listening to us, it might be telling your friends about the show. We are here for you. I'm going to close the show with the song Amazing Grace uh, as sung by Leanne Rimes. This is a a really beautiful a cappella rendition. And I feel that this hymn expresses the forgiveness and love of our higher power um, and the way in which, you know, if God can forgive us, maybe we can find forgiveness for ourselves and for those who have hurt us. Um, Grace, as expressed here, is often defined as the free and unmerited favor of God. It's something we get um, just for being who we are, because God loves us.
2: The head said